You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode with the podcast is beauty expert Sarah Jossel. That's right. She is the beauty director of the Sunday Times Style. She writes the Beauty Boss column and she is also regularly on our TV screens here in the UK on the most popular daytime TV show this morning as one of their beauty presenters. And I wanted to get her onto the podcast because when I've previously had Uh, beauty buddies from uh, magazines and newspapers on the show it's always been interesting to unpick their career story because and I heard this a million times when I was a working beauty editor on a glossy magazine that there are a million girls who would kill to do your job and so one of the questions that I get asked most and I know Sarah gets asked a lot and I know lots of people in the beauty industry get asked is how did you get into the industry how did you get your job And so I was chatting to Sarah and I said, look, I'd really love you to come on. I think it could be really interesting. And also not to undersell her story. She has had an incredible career and there is plenty more to come. But she is really she's one of those people who worked her way up the ranks and has just gone on to achieve just really wonderful, glorious and very well-deserved success. So I really wanted to unpick it. And there were some some surprises along the way. And also... I have such a soft spot in my heart for the Sunday Times style because I I am from a household that reads the Times. And so growing up, and even when I go back now, they have saved the style, they being my parents, save the style section for me and leave it on my bed because I don't like buying a big bulk of paper because I don't read the main body of the paper. And I catch up on the style section when I go home and visit, which is always such a pleasure and a delight. So I'm kind of like fangirling a little bit because the Sunday Times style is it's probably one of my original sources of beauty content as a beauty consumer. So there we go. And I've known Sarah for a very long time. And as you will hear in this episode, she is just so much fun to be around. She really knows what she's talking about. And her career story 
is so interesting. And she has so many brilliant nuggets of wisdom, things like how to handle a job interview, how to navigate you know, working your way up the ranks. I found this chat really, really interesting, so I hope that you enjoy it. The links to Sarah will obviously be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you're streaming and downloading this episode. But without any further ado, beauty boss <laughs> and beauty friend, Sarah Jossel on The Emma Gunn Show. Wonderful, very excited to sort of be here. <laughs> face to face via the internet, which is glorious, no? Yeah, it's the new face to face. It is. I like that. See, you've always got a headline on the tip of your tongue, Sarah. Thing. Well, I should be an editor. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you onto the podcast, because you are the beauty director of style, Sunday Time Style which uh, as somebody who grew up in a Times household is the thing, it's probably the magazine I've read the most in my life. Um, but you're so much more. You also are a resident beauty expert on this morning. And you really are, when it comes to the beauty industry and the beauty landscape, you're, you're a big player, right? Oh, I sweat, I sweat at the thought. But, you know, I'm having a good time. I think I'm really enjoying the state the stage that I'm in in the beauty world now and and yeah doing a little bit of everything I'm finding it's not such a sort of one stream game that it was when I started in beauty which I'm really I'm really enjoying that and that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you actually because your career path I think is very interesting and I think it's worthy of telling as a story because I think it can be really inspiring because you and I probably both started out in the beauty industry I mean, although at different times, it was at a time when it really was about climbing a ladder and it was about getting your foot in the door, all of those you know, analogies and metaphors that you can think of about trying to get into this mega competitive industry. And then what on earth do you do? How do you navigate it once you're within? So we know where you are now, but how did this story start? And I don't just mean your first job in beauty or your first job in journalism, but the interest in beauty where did that begin so interestingly I really didn't have a huge love for beauty products and you know I, I never thought I would have ended up working in beauty I loved writing I loved storytelling and I had lots of uh beauty sort of hurdles I had incredibly frizzy hair not very good still have incredibly frizzy hair that's not changed um you know I had quite bad spots so for me it wasn't this you know love of products and I would so many people have stories of borrowing things from their mum's cabinets and I'm like oh god I don't have anything like that I think for me I became quite fascinated about in beauty from the pro problem solving aspect of it actually so wasn't something I read religiously through my teens, which is quite controversial um, in that sense. And then I went off and I did politics at Nottingham University and got into my debating side of things. Um, and then I was convinced I should be a TV presenter. I thought must be a TV presenter. And then I tried it and I discovered I have a very nervous laughter and they were like what are you gonna do when you have to say someone's died and I'm like probably laugh because I'll get nervous so I don't think this is the right career for me and I just laughed I couldn't do anything but laugh it was a disaster 
picked up from my dad. It's the silent laughter where someone will say, stop laughing, and then you laugh even more, and it's that fit. So, that, I see. yes, that, that died very quickly. And then I thought, why don't I give magazines a go? And 12 years later, here I am. Okay, so let's go back to something you said about it being controversial that you never lived and died by the beauty section of magazines, because I remember being a teen, and that was that was one of my favourite places in the pages of the magazines. Why? I mean, you mentioned it was controversial. Why do why did you use that particular vocabulary? Well, I I think controversial might be a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> it's more of like a. For me, it's quite interesting because when I had my first job in beauty, I remember this group of people sort of absolutely dying and going to heaven at these red lipsticks. And I was like, oh, I, I, should I be at, like, I don't know. I'm just not as overly excited by it. Um, and it took me, you know, but six months later, once I sort of had a, had a chance to understand the beauty industry a bit more and understand the power of red lipstick, I sort of fell in love with it all in a very different route, if that makes sense. It was never, oh. yeah. So I fell in love with it from trying red lipstick and understanding the difference of how I felt with or without it. It wasn't like this natural love. I had to sort of grow into that love, if that makes sense, which I think is very different from all the other beauty editors that I've spoken to who I think, not obviously every single one, but most grew up with a real love and passion Whereas I think when I found that product that made my hair less frizzy and when I found that product that gave me more confidence because my skin was better, that's when I, I really grew to have a true, absolute, undying, passionate love for beauty. I can totally relate to that because um, as much as I've always really enjoyed colour cosmetics, for me as well, it's been about problem solving because my background was like having terrible acne, hair loss, those sorts of things. So for me, I really have always wanted to get what I'm paying for or get if it says something, if it makes a claim, I want it to deliver. So it's always been much more functional and less romantic. And I cannot still, when I open up a magazine and somebody has written a 1500 word piece, which is basically a love letter to a moisturizer, I scratch my head and go, I don't get it. I can't, I don't get it. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, now, 12 years later, don't get me wrong. I I have certain products that I would marry. I, I mean, I, I would <laughs> never, I would, I wouldn't, I would be lost without them. But you know, I think that's, I think that's my whole point where I feel it's a little bit different in terms of, I love them because they just make me feel so much better, which is why I'm forever fighting that cause of please don't say it's just beauty or it's because I know how little confidence I had about my looks. You know, I look back at my bar mitzvah photos and I'd had my hair blow dried and I was so excited and I wore a silver dress that matched my silver braces and it was all so exciting. And within five minutes, this like sleek blow dry was just so puffy and I was so sad about it that you know, when I look back at all of those hurdles, I just, I, I find the beauty in, beauty in general just so powerful in that sense. And you touched on something there, which I think is really important too, is that you talked about the fact that you did politics and making the, the term politics to beauty might be seen as, uh, mm. um, what's the value in beauty? I obviously, as somebody who's in the industry, understand the value and think it's uh, a noble pursuit and a noble career. But did you have anyone question that decision to make 
the move from something like politics to lipstick, which is how people view it, right? Totally. And absolutely. You know, I, I was quite embarrassed to go and meet my friends from university in the beginning. And they would be talking about like their NGOs they were working for, or, you know, they would got their, you know, they've got their foot into going to work in parliament and that kind of thing. And I was like, well, I wrote this page. It's really exciting. The, the title is Matt is back. And they'd be like, oh, sorry. <laughs> And as I get it, the rhyme, but I was still proud of it. I'll never forget when my first piece that I won, like Rising Star Award, it was my winter skin is dry. Why? And I, was, <laughs> I was so proud. Right. I actually think I tried to put their headline in the other week. They were like, no. Okay, moment, moment's gone. Um, Times have changed, Jocelyn. Yeah, yeah, got to move. Um, but I was a little bit like, oh, how do I sort of make it sound important what I'm doing? And now I'm so angry with myself for ever feeling like what I do isn't important or what I do isn't serious. Because when you get emails from, you know, mothers and fathers saying that we have completely altered their kids, their children's confidence or you know, we've massively helped someone who wasn't going out on weekends to feel more confident or, you know, even take it to the next level. Someone who's been going through chemo, we've helped them with their eyebrows, their eyelashes. And, and it doesn't even have to be that serious to, for me to feel that what I'm doing is worthwhile. I think every single day when you get told this product sold 6,000 times after you've reached it, you know, people are out there looking for answers, looking for authority and looking for trust. And if you've built that up with a certain person then what you're doing is really important. It is. You're absolutely right. And I, you're, I think as well now, the interaction with people who consume your content, whether it's in print or online, is so much greater than it was. I can't even think really back in my magazine days. It, we used to get handwritten letters sometimes, but they were fairly infrequent. Yeah, I mean, the handwritten letters were great. They'd either be like, thank you so much, da, 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 or they'd be like, you spelt that word wrong. You should have yeah. been right. And you're like, Harsh, harsh. Like, um, I, the time. <laughs> yeah, I remember one that was in the magazine. You said this eyeshadow was fifteen pounds. When I went to the shop, it was nineteen pounds. So I'd like you to give me the four pounds. Or if I expected, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Whoops. You know, but you know what? You know, that's something that I also feel like sort of grown this whole new passion for what I do because for a long time, I don't think we knew who we were writing to. We kind of were just writing. Mm. And then you'd say goodbye. And then as in, you, you know, that issue would be gone and you'd wait to write the next issue. But now you, you sort of, you write this piece and that day you're getting people messaging you saying, oh, I tried that. It didn't do that for me. Or thank you so much. I love it. And it's a constant stream, this two-way conversation that makes what we do so much more fun because you're constantly, you know, you're constantly getting better at what you do because you're getting constant feedback. And I love feedback. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get on to that because, and we talked very briefly before we started recording, I really wanted to talk about why you got into beauty and then also sort of almost track your career because I do think there's no blueprint for success, really. I think if you end up working on a magazine in the old days where you were an assistant that, you know, maybe you would then become junior beauty writer or beauty writer then beauty editor then beauty director and that was kind of how things would go but it really has changed in the time that you and I've been in the industry but just for the purposes of it what was your first job and do you remember how you got it and how significant that was for you yes so my first job was actually a fashion assistant um, do you want to know that or do you want to go straight to the no. beauty assistant 
question. No, because I'm guessing that that was a stepping stone. Yes, it was. So I emailed anyone and everyone. And then a friend of my mum said that she knew a lady called Claire Coulson, who was the features director at Harper's Bazaar. And I should send a letter to her. Um, I love that we wrote letters. I don't know why I wrote her a letter. I think I used to think it was just more personal to do that. Um, so I did that and I'll never, I'll never forget. This was when I had zero experience in magazines and you know, you sort of, you trawl through all the websites of job openings and there was features director <laughs> and I applied for it saying my skills are transferable and I definitely I could do it. I just remember, you know, you kind of just do it, don't you? Thinking I could do that. Now <laughs> hindsight, wow. Um, so yeah, so um, I didn't hear anything from Claire and then about eight months later, Somebody from the fashion team said, my details have been passed on and do I want to do a week's internship there? And obviously I was the world's most excited person to get my foot in the door. Um, so Harper's Bazaar, so I got all dressed up. I was so excited and you would know as you walk in, they're like, here's the cupboard. We probably won't see it again and have a great week. So that was me. I was like, so embarrassing. I wore heels to the cupboard. Um, but there I was in the cupboard. And um, I basically, there was this moment where they would, you know, a lot of the big conversations happen in the cupboard because you, the, the, the top people would go in there for the little micro chat. Tete-a-tetes. Yes, there you go. And one of them was that they just couldn't get any of the right tartan, none of the right tartan clothes were coming in and they were so stressed ever. So I went I'm and like, I was like, I'm howling. <laughs> tartan made my career. Here you go. Tartan dilemmas in the cupboard. Yeah. So I was like, okay, they want tartan. I will give them tartan. By the way, they did not know I was even, in, I wasn't there. I was folding clothes behind them. But I went home, went on to a site that's now gone called style.com, went through every single designer and pulled every single tartan item and made an entire mood board. Didn't sleep that night and went in and I was like, excuse me. And they were like, who are you? And I was like, I've got a tartan mood board. I just think that might help you. Anyways, that was the day that they were like, get tartan girl on it. I got a name. Oh. I got a name. I got a name. Tartan girl. I was Tartan girl. And then I kept being asked to do more research and more research. And then they offered me to do, to go as like the fifth assistant on um, the Sophie Dahl cover shoot. And it was on my birthday. And I was like, cancel my birthday plans. I'm going on this shoot. And then they were like, okay, you've got a month, um, a month's internship. And then they gave me another month. And then it went to six months. And then... They were, I was applying for the one year um, assistant job and I didn't get it and my world just crashed. I was so upset. Um, but one of the best things about that was what I learned at that time, which if you go so above and beyond, people don't forget you. They just don't. There aren't that many people that will go above and beyond. So you are remembered. So when other people are looking to hire, your name will always be in that circle and that was the beginning so I then got passed on to Vogue International which was Russian Vogue, Russian Tatler, Russian Glamour um so I I was there for I think two years and then 
a job came up at Glamour and there, the late Anna Harvey, who sort of, she ran Vogue International. She was the most incredible, chic, wonderful, intelligent woman. She called me in and her office was so nerve wracking. And she said, it's time to leave the cupboard. Oh, <laughs> where am I going? She was like, I'll go anywhere. She was like, I've got you an internship, um, an internship interview at Glamour. So that was it. So I went to Glamour and I got the role there as beauty assistant. Back up. Sorry, okay. rewind. No, no. So I'm just thinking a lot of people remember, I still remember the day I walked through Waterloo Station and was given a copy of Glamour with Kate Winslet on the cover because that was the day that it launched. And it was a big day in my life. <laughs> but I also know that, and Glamour was like, for a long time, Glamour was where I wanted to work. So tell me about that. Who did you interview with? So I interviewed with, so Alessandra was the beauty director. and Charla, She's been on this podcast. Right. And Charlotte Ann Fiddler was the fashion director. And then there was a managing editor. And they didn't know if I was going for the fashion assistant role or the beauty assistant role. So it, it was quite nerve wracking because I didn't know whether, which one to say was my passion. You know, I've got to give the interview what they want. And I was like, I love fashion and beauty. I, I love fashion and beauty. I, I'll take any. Because I think what's really interesting about that is being thrown in the deep end, a tough interview with people whose bylines you probably see all the time. You're probably reading everything that they do. And then you've somehow got to present yourself as you do in any interview, but you've somehow got to make yourself appealing. So did you did you give yourself any kind of pep talk? How did you prep for that? How did you get into the right headspace? So I am notoriously terrible in interviews because <laughs> I have a very, I make a big error. I concentrate way too much on what I think they want. And right. I actually think the people who interview best show their, their, who they are, what they can do, what they have to offer. And then that person can decide because I see that now when I interview people, the difference. And, and actually, I, I, I've done so many, I've been in so many interviews where I've just thought, I, I was so boring. I came out so boring because I, I just tried to be who they wanted, who I thought they wanted me to be, if that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, I understand that, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had, I had, by the way, I had not got two jobs at Glamour prior to this interview in the fashion, as a fashion assistant. Okay. Um, so you, you're even more nervous because you, you, you've been burnt, you haven't got the job, and here you are again, and everyone's desperate to get you out the cupboard. And I believe you've got to get her out. Yeah, by the time you're the third, it's your third interview, you're being scrappy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. So I went in and I just remember that was one of the few interviews I sort of brought a little bit of my humour to the table and I, I kind of said I, I was a bit nervous. I, I was just a bit more honest about who I am and where I'm up to. Um, and I had a real connection with what Alessandra wanted for beauty and what she looks for in an assistant. And that was sort of it. I got an email from Alex with a project to do. And I, you know how you have to write an email saying, thank, thank you very much for um, letting me interview. I'd like to just sort of, what's the word? Re, re, like tell you again, re, yeah, what? Yeah. what? Confirm. Uh, yeah, yeah, reiterate, reiterate. There yeah, that's it. Such a hard word. <laughs> reiterate um, how much I would so love to work for you. So, you know, and every other one, I'd be like, Mom, is this correct? Have I said all the right things or whatever? And this one, I felt more confident to just be like, 
feel really passionate. I really want to do this. I think I've got what it takes. And that was it. And that was sort of my opening in beauty. And it was it was there when I, in the beginning, there was so much like fury over the lipstick. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not right for beauty. But I sort of found my found my feet. And that was the beginning. And then I was at Glamour for six years. Yeah. Working with Alessandra. I think what I really take away from that is the the skill. And it takes a lot of time, actually, to really to um, build the confidence to do it is to go into an interview and rather than think I want them to want me for this job to actually listen to them and think is this job right for me and then if you're totally and that's why I actually said the other day on Instagram a lot of the time when you don't get a job it's not because you're not good it actually might be because they think you're a bit too overqualified or you've got too similar skills to someone else on the team. There's so many positives as to why you may have not got the job, but it's very easy to just assume it's because I'm terrible. That's so, I'm so glad. I'm, so, I'm sure somebody listening to this will will get, some, will get something from that because I think we can all feel so defeated by a no. And I love the way you just put it. There are so many positives, positive reasons why you might not have been the right candidate. Totally, totally. Is that what you try to communicate? Because you say you're now the person who's more likely to be doing the interviews. Is that what you try to communicate to people? Yeah, it, there's nothing worse than sort of breaking the news to someone that you think is genuinely talented and, you know, really good at what they do, that this isn't going to be the role for them. But it's just this very weird thing that I have innately to just, like, I always will just say to them, I'm not one bit worried because you will, you are going places, you've got a brilliant career ahead of you, but you know, ultimately the boss above me has plans of how they would see the role and it's not going to be for everyone. So mm -hmm. yes, I always do. And I also, by the, I will also always say, I particularly thought this, you know, this sort of section of what you do is so good. We should definitely do more of that. And I think, you know, as much feedback as you can give is always really helpful. So you then spent six years at Glamour, and as I said, Alessandra Steiner has been on this podcast, so listeners might be familiar with her, but she is a real, I mean, she's a real expert in what she does, she's a real formidable woman, and I'll put the link actually to the episode that Alex and I created together in the show notes for this so people can go and find it. But I remember having a phone interview with Alex years and years and years ago, and I remember one of the things I thought was, I really... I would really like to see how she works day to day because I do think that the way that she did shoots, the way she put together her editorial, her vision, all of those things was really incredible and very inspiring. So when you're in that situation, did you become a sponge? How do you become a sponge and learn at the same time? Like make sure that you're making them happy, but also make sure that you're building your own identity as an editor, yeah. future editor. Well, I don't think... I, you know, look, I think the first three years, you're really just learning sort of what to do on the job, how to do the job, how to be the best at the job that you can possibly be. And also the first three years as the assistant, it's, I always felt as the assistant, you know, my number one job was to make sure that my boss had everything she needed kind of thing. So if I then had enough time, I would focus on myself, but that was just sort of how I sort of approached the assistant job. Um, mm -hmm. But also don't forget, there was no social media, there was no sort of brand building for yourself, there was no temptation to do with stories and all the products coming in, that didn't exist. So yeah. what you were working on was this one print publication. So it was amazing that as an assistant, I used to get pages in the magazine, so I would be learning from 
the beauty writer and the beauty editor and the beauty director and you're constantly learning you don't kind of need to stop and be like right how am I going to learn it just it happens mm. all day every day and I look at really small things like you know how Alessandra did she had this thing called the box and when products came in she would look at it look at the product and then put them in this box and at the end of the day I'd go pack up the box and put them into the right sections and I would look at each product see what section she's put it in and learn and I and I brought that into how I like what I do at the Sunday Times now. so you definitely you take on habits you take on certain things um so I think when you're in that job and you're not the director yet you you there's there's so much learning to be done but don't worry if you don't feel like you're doing it you just naturally are because you're there or you're living and breathing it all day every day it's so true do you also feel that because I look back and think this sometimes you can be so hungry when you get a role like that like you hear people around you talking about going and doing you know a cover shoot with Jennifer Aniston or somebody and you just think I really want to go I really want to go were you quite good at being able to say I really want to go but maybe now is not my time and I'm not going to be upset if I'm not on that shoot absolutely not I would cry <laughs> my eyes out if I didn't ever get to do anything I, I I'm I'm quite hard on myself in that sense of I sort of I catastrophize and feel like the world is ending when I don't get an opportunity that I really wanted and I, I'm not very good at rationalizing when it's myself when it's other people oh I can blab on for hours about you're going to get your moment but when it's myself my whole life I've been like I've, I've catastrophized situations which is like I can you work on yeah but also it's funny because when you do get to go on the shoot and you are like this is the least glamorous thing I've ever done and I didn't even get to see Jennifer Aniston because she was behind mm -hmm. the wall yeah yeah I think I think um there's a misconception that it's incredibly glamorous yeah but actually not all the time yeah it was funny though it kind of I don't know if I ever was desperate to do it because it was glamorous it was more like ticking off that experience of mm. I, I would get I I'm that per like I was that person that if I was there to steam the clothes I'd be so overexcited about making sure everything like was facing the right way on the hangers so that you know so that potentially the celebrity would go wow the clothes look great I, I sort of always I don't know I've had this like weird habit instilled of like wanting to make sure that it was really perfect how I did those things mm. so assistant role and then was the next sort of upgrade promotion was that beauty editor no, I had this really funny thing that I literally went beauty assistant, junior beauty writer, beauty writer, senior beauty writer, junior beauty editor. <laughs> so that's why people are like, so when people say that they can now have overnight fame, I'm like, yeah, I was pretty much the polar opposite. I, I literally had every job title possible. Um, other than other than director. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know I guess on the one hand I was really obsessed with the whole title thing and couldn't like reach it but on the other hand like in hindsight it doesn't matter what matters is what you're doing every day you know mm. you get so obsessed with what your title is and then when you think but I'm actually writing pages I'm going to launches I'm seeing products how important is it if you are a junior beauty writer or a junior beauty editor I think when back in the day those titles felt way more important I don't know what do you think oh 100% like, who cares 
Now when I look back, I, I remember once being told I couldn't have a pay rise, but I could have a title change. And I was like, seems fair. <laughs> I do you know what I've had that and that was and actually HR said to me about a year later never do that again mm. don't do that don't accept a, do not accept a title change without a pay rise and and the truth is can you imagine a man doing that can you imagine a man being like I'll take the title change don't worry about pay no it's ridiculous no do you feel that you ever had that situation where it was a million girls will do this job so you kind of just have to suffer a little bit. Emma, I think I've still got that. I've still got that in me deep down that there are so many people who would want this job that I I, I can never take the foot off the pedal, which is, 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 it's good because you're always passionate and you've got a lot of adrenaline in what you do and what you love. But I, I often think I wish I was a little bit kinder on myself and actually I'm not just anyone and everyone. And what I bring is, different and unique and I, I sometimes think I should be kinder to myself that that whilst lots of people obviously can do this job you know I bring something to it which is my own my own unique take on it which I should give more credit to yeah that's the thing and I think from my perspective having started my own platform the most useful bit of advice I got early on was don't worry if someone else starts a podcast because only you can host your show so true. I was going to ask you, do you feel like that with, because it is such a, it's that market where we're all, we're all kind of in it and we're all doing what we do and we all do it so well. And when people say, well, you know, even, you know, someone else doing this morning does that worry, you know, because we all do our own thing on there and you can only do what you can do. And if you try and be the other person, other people on this morning, then you're not going to be as good at it. And that's what I feel when I'm putting style together every week. I can only do what I think is right. And as long as, you know, the bosses are happy with it and they like what I'm doing, I should just be focusing on that. I know you've already touched on this, but I did want to ask you, I've always felt, and obviously we all have, we have a lot of the same friends, but it does feel that when you get into the beauty industry, particularly from the magazine side, you start off with a sort of overall interest in beauty. And at some point you do kind of find a niche. Do you remember when that happened for you and what was it? Do you mean as in like the areas of beauty that you sort of, you feel Yeah, about? some people become real skincare geeks, some people become real artistry geeks, others, you know, remain quite broad. Do you know what, I? well, I don't know if this is quite the answer you're looking for, but I think my niche, <laughs> you're like, goodbye, Sarah. Um, <laughs> I think that my niche that I've sort of found is my obsession with problem solving um, for others. You know, I love mm. that challenge of someone saying, I can't find a product does, that does X or I'm spending £90 every month on this product. Is there a cheaper alternative? I'm sort of, I love that challenge. For me, it's that's sort of my niche in beauty because I could say it's frizzy hair and I could say it's acne prone skin and I could say it's fake tan, but I think it's sort of everything across the board, but in a real problem solving manner. It's a good point because I remember when I was about... 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Five or six years into it, I realized that I had been only looking at it through my lens. Yes, well, exactly, yeah. But you're going to say, when I was five or six, I'm like, okay, we're going far back here. No, no, because you, as you were saying earlier, like we were talking about who are you actually writing for and getting feedback. And I think for a long time, you, I, well, I definitely was writing for advertisers and the advertising department, and I wasn't necessarily thinking about the end user in the same way, or in a way that I do now. Totally. I think that is the absolute joy of social media. It's completely transformed what we mm. do. And, you know, I used to say we would do a page called the 10 best spring blushes. And then you think about that page and there's no differentiation because you're just putting 10 pink spring blushes on. And they don't really exist anymore because now we're very aware that we want to do the powder blush for the person who finds that who's got oily skin and the cream blush for the person who might have fine lines and struggles with powder. So you're really tackling different mm-hmm. people's issues when you're talking about beauty now, which I think is, and also I think one of the joys that I love about style is there's a lot of first person involved there. So it's not just the 10 first blushes. It's I've tried these three blushes. You will love this if you've got this. So it's much more conversational rather than as you said just 10 pairs blushes we've ticked all our advertisers off we go now you touched on something else there first person pieces they were really rare when I started out and yet now I do feel like they are they're everywhere yeah. how important do you what why do you think that's happened is it because of the emotional connection that we realize that we have with our beauty buyers well why has that happened I look I I often think to myself that I think a lot of people find it easier to write beauty in first person because it is such a personal thing, beauty. So now, you know, when I commission people, I get, even if it's, they are talking about eight new moisturizers, they will bring a first person spin into it to sort of bring more character to make Mm -hmm. it sort of feel more relatable to the person reading it. Um, so I think maybe people have learned that that relatability is really important in beauty because I think if you don't know who's telling you this information then is it relevant to you or is it should you bother reading it whereas if it's my name is x I have x skin and these are the products that I have found an answer to I think that's more sort of more enticing to read than just you know here are eight moisturizers totally and also, I know we talked about finding an affinity with a particular area, but what about contending with all the information? And by that, what I mean is, um, 
so on this podcast, you'll never, I'll never have a crystal healer on because for me personally, I don't really buy into that. Therefore, it's I'm not going to be the best conduit for that information. How have you been presented with everything? When let's face it, a lot of it contradicts when you're talking about science versus some of the more holistic stuff. How did you, um, how were you able to use your journalistic integrity and kind of see the wheat for the chaff, as it were? Yes, I think it's it's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes you kind of have to keep a straight face when they're telling you that you will look 10 years younger because they have found an extract from a country you've never heard of that came from a rare plant and you're like stop 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 <laughs> you kind of have to just nod politely and then I think what I always do and this is really an interesting person to take advice from but I once said to Camilla Long who is as brutal as it gets when it come, comes to reviewing things and her opinions and you know often I'll be like you know I don't agree with everything she says but she did say to me something that stays with me when you are writing something, if you know that a family member is going to go out and spend money on that product, would you feel happy writing about it positively, knowing that someone is going to go, who's really close to you, is going to go spend their money on it? And that's what I try and think when I write, you know, do they, do I need to put in all of, you know, the whole extract, et cetera, et cetera, until I've tried it or until someone's tried it, if it's not right for me, I'm very aware that, I need to be cautious how I talk about it. And then when it comes to, you know, things like oils, for example, I, I don't get on with them. They're not good for my skin. Other people will love oils. And I am very aware that when I write about oils, I need to say I personally don't use them. But that doesn't mean it's not for everyone. I, I, I get frustrated when if I was to write a column and go, everyone must stop using oils. I think that wouldn't make me a good journalist. It needs to be, I don't get on with them. But if you do, here are some really wonderful ones that I know, you know, my colleagues have had great experiences with. And that's, I think, the point of a journalist. It's not just what's good for me. It's what's good for everyone. It's not, hi, everyone. I love this. I love this. It's, hi, everyone. I've done my research. I've spoken to different people. I've got different reviews. This is good if you've got this. My friend who really struggles with oily skin is loving this. And, you know, you're kind of, you're doing a much more all-rounded approach to it. I like the fact that you just say, I just nod and be polite if someone's presented me with something that I know to be nonsense. No. <laughs> I've got such a terrible poker face. People are like, you hate it, don't you? And I'm like, no. And then I realise I'm scowling. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know, someone said that to me the other day. They were like, you must be very careful on TV, Sarah, because your face says a lot. A lot of expression. Uh, a lot okay. Of so, yeah. Well, should we, should we talk about TV? Because okay. that's terrifying, but also brilliant. So this morning, for people in, uh, listening to this podcast who aren't in the UK, this morning is the highest rated daytime TV show. It has been for, I mean, it's an institution in this country. And you are one of the beauty experts. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, it's Again, it's brought such a new sort of aspect to what I do. Um, it's a new audience. It's a new approach to beauty, which... I find really exciting, really thrilling. Um, you know, it's funny, I often talk to people and some people would just be like, that is my absolute worst nightmare. And I was like, I cannot tell you how much I love it. I get so excited 
um, when I'm on. So yeah, it's been, it's actually two years now this month to be doing Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's really fun engaging with the presenters who might not have like a huge passion for beauty. So you've got to really win them over. And yeah, I think, you know, when you've been a, a magazine writer for a long time, I think one of the things I would say is when I moved over to Sunday Time Style, there was no video there was nothing like that it was again it was just print and in the five years I've been there they've massively built up you know mm. YouTube channels and all their video content that they do so I was start I was doing video and then this morning came along and it was like yes this is what I need to do and my, my TV presenting days I'm not obviously the presenter but has come back which is really mm. really exciting really it was obviously meant to be how do you approach things differently then from, well, no, actually, let's talk about going from a monthly to a weekly and also going from going, making that transition and being the boss. Oh, I, I was, I wasn't very good. I was so nervous, <laughs> so nervous, you know, and I hate that. I don't hate the phrase imposter syndrome. I think I've just heard it a bit too much now. I sort of need a new name for it. Um, but you can't not have that I think style is something which is just it's so powerful and it has so much gravitas and when you have never been a boss to become your first time ever being a boss at a title like that everything can feel very very personal and very you know it can make you absolutely 100% sure that you can't do the job even if you yeah. can if you can sort of tell yourself 100 because you're you're kind of doing everything at the absolute max if that makes sense you can't, so do you have sorry so do would you did you sort of go in and fake it till you make it did you have that sort of vibe or did you just go do you know what I'm even though it's the top role I'm open to learning and being corrected and not being perfect. Yeah, do you know, I think I was just too nervous for the first year to even accept anything or acknowledge anything. I kind of just, you know, when you go for those meetings with the big PR directors and you get taken to it and suddenly you are the beauty director, it just, you kind of feel like someone's going to find out that I shouldn't be here. And it's horrible. It's really, you can't enjoy it. And that's why I think it took me a while to truly enjoy being a beauty director because also don't forget you then go on all these beauty director trips and you're not you, you're not kind of used to doing that and suddenly you're there and you don't feel like you should be there so it was it was really a nerve-wracking I'd say 18 months okay long time talk to me about people tweeting you differently did you feel that as you went up the ranks you got treated differently literally a title change could mean that you yeah people were nicer to you so I, I didn't have lots of different changes. I only have ever had glamour and Sunday time style. And I kind of have had the same sort of PR relationships the whole way through. Um, I don't think I've had like, I didn't ever see like a mass change. But then I also think you kind of go from a, a glossy monthly to, I'm going to call it a glossy weekly in that sense. Mm -hmm. like you're, you know, I don't think my contacts massively changed, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I think going on to beauty director that that was a change because suddenly my contacts their bosses were saying we need to now see Sarah and I was like no no don't do that. no bring back my friends so there was a little bit of that um, yeah. 
But I, I, again, I don't even know if that exists anymore. I kind of feel like everyone is sort of speaking to everyone now. And there's, there's just a whole new approach to that sort of PR journalist, expert influencer relationship. It's not so one way. You know, I think yeah. if you look back at how much it was PRs just showing journalists products and journalists sort of sat back on their thrones and would look at them and decide what to write about, you know, and this is not when, this is not when I was PR director. This was, I'm talking like, no, this sounds terrible. I've gone way off. But, no, no, I know it's, I feel like you're being completely accurate. That's, yeah, what, that's how I remember my first years now, of Yeah, but now I feel journalists also need a lot from PRs and it's the PRs who decide who they want to work with on bigger projects. And it, I think it's a much more natural relationship now where it isn't just, I'll decide if I want to write about that. Goodbye. You know, that doesn't, it doesn't exist like that anymore. Oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, my job before I got on magazines and I was a beauty editor and it was a, it was a department of one. So it was, I was section head. My job before that was, was, um, making sure that the refuse collection timetable in my local newspaper was accurate every week. And so I found it really, I found that transition really difficult, actually, because I suddenly couldn't believe that people wanted to take me for breakfast and actually listen to what I said. Oh, God, yeah. I genuinely didn't know how to handle it. I found breakfast really hard in the beginning. I was like, what do you talk about? And then they'd ask about my boyfriend. I'd be like, I don't have a boyfriend. And they'd talk about their boyfriend. I'd be like, but I don't even know who you are. (laughs) Great to know. You know, they were quite weird. And I kind of, to get my head around it all, I found it all quite awkward. Um, But, you know, 12 years in, thankfully, I've learned how to be less awkward. I'm quite an awkward person. I remember my first breakfast and thinking, well, I have to do it before work because I have to be in work at nine. So I asked to meet someone at Claridge's at 7.30. <laughs> and I ordered it, and I had never been to Claridge's before or a hotel that fancy. And so they handed me the breakfast menu and I just said, I'll have the continental breakfast. <laughs> so like this tray of muffins and pastries turns up and I think what the PR's having like a mint tea and a fruit oh, salad and I was mortified. I think I put some of it in my handbag for later. <laughs> you meet for a breakfast or lunch and they're like, I'm just going to have a tea. And I was like, well, I'm going to have the chicken shawarma for lunch. So what are we going to do about it? Yeah, that is a myth about the whole not eating thing. Anyway, but uh, let's, not get, let's not go down that road. Um, so with the TV stuff... And having that kind of profile. And then, now, I've suddenly had a brain fart as we're talking. Is it Beauty Boss or Boss Beauty? It's Beauty Boss, Beauty isn't Boss. it? Yes, that's uh, good. Imagine, that... imagine someone telling you your new title is Beauty Boss when you've got severe imposter syndrome. You're so nervous. You're, like, waking up every day and, like, crawling into this job. And then they're like, and now you are the Beauty Boss. Great. My question to you was, did you come up with that title once you'd leaned into it and you'd accepted it? And obviously not. Yeah. Ever. No, I did not. It was so basically they had this big redesign for the September issue and they were like, we're going to give, you know, fashion. There was always wardrobe mistress and Sunday time style and they didn't yes. have that equivalent. So, oh, my God, we had so many names. It was like we were Sarah. It was going to be Sarah's Secrets. And then I was like, it sounds a bit like I run a beauty, like a, a parlor of some sort. Sarah's Secrets. Um, and then, I'm hoping you'd be a good parlor mistress. Ooh, okay. But if this all goes wrong, I know where I'm going next. Um, then there was because we just like I was obsessed with creating something with lipstick. What's the shtick? 
but they were like okay we're not running the jewish chronicle here so we're not going to do the lipstick i think it was great they wouldn't let me. i love it i love it i wish that was your instagram handle the lipstick. what's the lipstick exactly and then um there were all different ones it was like the beauty doctor and i was like no guys because i'm not a doctor um so lo and then someone on the team came up with beauty boss so you know i always say one day when i leave i'm not going to have the beauty boss it's not mine it, it will be passed on um i will always be the first sunday time style beauty boss but i won't be the beauty boss when i leave it'd be like miss world yeah hand, hand the crown over, hand the over exactly um so it was it was a, a title that was not it didn't come very naturally to me um but again it, you know it was something I grew into and something I learned to use and then I made hashtag beauty boss approved and and actually what brands really liked about it from a commercial perspective is it kind of gave them something to work with it was like okay the page has a name we can create beauty boss collaborations and it sort of it, it has really worked for the magazine now tell me the, the thing about tv and even with uh beauty boss and creating video content is when you're writing about beauty, say you're talking about, say it's a serum, that's got quite a scientific or involved formula. You can check your facts. You can write something and think, I'll just check that's the molecular weight of that hyaluronic acid. But when you're doing TV or when you're creating a video, you have to know. And you can't kind of, you can't fact check, especially if it's live. Do you feel like the TV work has made you more confident or made you interrogate products in a different way because you can't have any woolly or grey areas around your facts? There is nothing worse than Philip Schofield going, <laughs> really? <laughs> you never want that face. Where the eyebrow, one eyebrow goes up and he goes, really? So you need to know when you are going to talk about a product, you need to know your stuff. But what I would say is that this morning, you know, not everybody watching it is going to be a beauty expert. So they tend to not want you to go really in depth the way that say you would on a beauty video when your audience is beauty. So a lot mm -hmm. of the time, if you ever go on Twitter, they'll be like, oh, not beauty again, but not everyone's there. In fact, most people won't be there for beauty content. They'll be there for the, you know, the show and the celebrities and the gossip. So when you do your segment, you have to remember that you're talking to someone who just wants to know, is this going to fix my dry skin or not? So in passing, you can say, this has got glycerin and it's got or hyaluronic acid or, you know, something, but they're not going to then go, well, what is the molecular weight of that? They're just not going to. So from that perspective, you're kind of, you kind of just need to know what's good and what's not. Um, what's good, Wiley, what's good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so, yeah, I feel, I mean, I'll never forget once when I did Dr. Brands on this morning and Holly was like, so what is the ingredient in there that's actually going to do that to and I was like held it up and it was this really long word and I was like neuropathy yeah she was like okay if you say so it was literally the world it was on a neostrata product and it was like oh Christ honestly there was about 28 letters in that word and I was like it's the neat yeah that one she was like okay sure now still um a career in beauty whether it's communicating beauty or working on the business side of things or whatever, it's still 
it's still something that I don't know about you, but I get asked about a lot, like, how do I get into beauty? And when it comes to this sort of editorial side of things, like the stuff that you and I do, I am asked very regularly, how can I get my foot in the door? And you and I both spoke about this uh, before we started recording in that it's completely different to how it was when we started out. But given that you are still in it and you have a little bit more visibility, do you have any advice for somebody who might be listening who's thinking, I really want to get into this world in some way, whether it's as a writer, whether it's as a content creator via a main platform of Instagram. Do you have anything that you would suggest to them? Yeah, I think one of the main things I say is don't wait for the magazine to um, get back to you you know, if you are good at something, so whether that is doing brilliant beauty videos or if that is writing, start writing about products. I would do it on Instagram, actually. I think, you know, writing really intelligent, brilliant captions and um, having interesting thoughts about things. And if you start tagging the brands that you're talking about, I follow all the brands, you know, they're going to reshare what you do. I'm going to see that. I'm going to click on it and I'm going to find you in a much easier way than, you know, that didn't exist when I started and also I always say to people when when I was applying there was about 20 different publications to apply to it was so much there was so much more choice and it's so so tragic that that doesn't exist anymore from a, a print perspective so you know I, I wouldn't sit being like I'm gonna just wait until I get a job in a magazine because also those roles don't exist there is no junior beauty writer, beauty writer, you know, there's one or two publications that still have mm. relatively big teams, but that that doesn't exist everywhere um, anymore. So I would say get going. Don't, don't wait for anyone. The, the beauty of it is you can start a podcast. You don't need a magazine to sort of validate it. If you've got a brilliant mm. idea, start, you know, start writing, start sending I mean I get pictures all the time if you've got a brilliant idea that you haven't seen I mean my only advice there is don't pitch something that was in the magazine the week before I think keep your eye out on what people are doing sort of relate to them be like I saw you did this I think you should also do that sort of really think about what you're what you're pitching to each person and I think yeah my main thing would be though is just get going you don't have to wait anymore you can have a really successful whether it's YouTube, whether it's Instagram, and that magazines are constantly looking for new talent to write for them, to do videos for them. It, it's not like it was where it's just this one in-house team. You know, I am commissioning all the time now. I want different names, different voices. So I do think from that perspective, it doesn't feel so closed. I think we're sort of looking for a much wider variety of voices um, to have on the pages because as I said, you know, I can't relate to someone who's got really fine, thin hair and I can't relate to someone who's got Afro hair. And so I would rather their voices being on the pages talking about it than me doing it myself. Yeah, I think that's really important. I speak to a lot of people who are saying they want to do it and I say, are you creating regular content? And they say, no, I'm scared it's going to be the wrong thing. And I always say, please don't go and listen to my first few podcasts. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Honestly, I will never forget on this morning when I was standing there and I was doing sustainability and I was trying to tell them that um, Colgate have launched a sustainability thing where they are saving 20, I think it was like 22 tons of toothpaste packaging. And I went 22, 22, and I could not think of the word tons. And then Philip and Holly were like, 
we, I'm so sorry, we don't know what you're trying to say. And I was like, 22. <laughs> and then it, like, the producer was like, wow, if I didn't, if I knew you couldn't speak, not sure we would have hired you. And I was like, it was the worst thing ever. And then my, um, one of my friends on this morning, Alice Bay, who's the consumer editor, mm. she me going, tons honey the word is tons and I'm like oh you know everybody has those moments where you just want the floor I, I couldn't I didn't speak English it was the weirdest experience there was just nothing nothing was coming out and it it's, like, it's like when you're making pancakes you do a test you do a test pancake first a little bit of batter in and then you don't start making pancakes properly until the second one totally and if you're and if you're so scared of making mistakes I think the best I always say just rip off that plaster because often, you know, I would say to people at Style, they would be like, how do you talk to your phone on Instagram? It's just the most awkward thing on this planet. And I was like, tell me about it. But now it's not. Just do it. Like, do it a few times. Give it a go. And also, don't watch it back. Just post it and do not watch it back. And then it's out there. And when you start to feel that engagement, when people start to say, oh, I, tr I tried that tip. It worked. You feel more confident and you keep going. But you have to start somewhere. Such good advice, Sarah. I love this. And actually, the other thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go is one thing that you are incredibly good at, and as somebody who worked on a weekly title for nearly 10 years, I know how hard it is and how that can be such a furnace of having to be creative under intense pressure, but you have to create new headlines that people are going to be tantalized by and want to read. You are very good at creating franchises that um, are really engaging. And also I remember somebody saying to me about beauty is like every year there is an element of what you're doing is you're going to be re repackaging something that you brought a story that you've already told and you are very good at reinventing or moving the story forward. And I wonder is how do you, how do you find that? How do you find the new angle for things? So I, I was thinking about that the other day because I was bringing out my headline, my winter skin is dry. Why? I wanted to write my summer skin is dry. And I was like, wow, wow Sarah, wow. Um, and then I was reading, um, I feel bad, I'm so embarrassed to say, I've just read Nora Ephron, I feel bad about my neck for the first time um, this month, which is, I don't know, I feel like it was a beauty Bible that everybody had read, but I've only just read it. And I in haven't it, read it, Sarah. Oh, Emma, read it. It's so brilliant. She's just, so she, she's the screenwriter for like Harry, when Harry met Sally, you've got mail. She, she just writes so brilliantly. And this book is a bit about like hindsight. And she does say, if everything on us is skin, why do we need a face cream versus a hand cream versus a foot cream? It's all just skin. And you're like, Nora. Like, you know, this is not what you should be saying. But, you know, she does say things where you're like, she kind of has a point with certain certain things that she's saying. But one of the things she said as a screenwriter is everything is copy. Everything. So when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and your one eyebrow looks funnier than your other eyebrow, you don't stop and think about that normally. But when you think to yourself, everything is copy, all your experiences of things you talk to people about, the questions you ask, from the second you leave your house to go to work, from this, you know, out on a Saturday night looking at other people, sitting in a restaurant and looking how lipstick has stayed on you, everything around you is copy. And when you think of it like that, it doesn't feel like, oh, wow, I'm writing about red lipstick again. It's like, no, I'm writing about Claire on that Thursday who was telling me this whole thing that she found this lipstick that was still on when she woke up in the morning so it's 
it's just storytelling in a way that feels is that it's all around you all the time. It's not about the press release. It's not about just that new launch. It's about creating human connection about that product. Oh, I love that. Do you? I, that's a bit, bit long-winded. Come on, no. down, Sarah. <laughs> no, I really like that. because That's one thing I've always really struggled with. I'm like, red lipstick's a red lipstick, a red lipstick. I know that's not strictly true, I hasten to add. But equally, I, I remember when I first went freelance and you'd start pitching and people would say things like, we're really looking for something a bit more zeitgeisty. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't get it. Yeah, no, I think, you know, one other thing that I would say that I've tried to do sort of later on in my career is not be afraid to just talk a little bit more about random, like random things. So if you are writing about um, India Knight, my, column, my, my columnist, my fellow columnist, does it really well, where she'll sort of just talk about something that's nothing to do with the lipstick, but that's really interesting, and then find a way to bring that in. Mm. You know, I think there's, there's no harm. Beauty doesn't have to be so step one, step two, step three, that there can be a really lovely story to what you're writing about. And you have a lovely story. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing it. It's been really, really fascinating. I'm really glad we got this time, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. It's been really lovely talking. Because <laughs> normally it's just snippets at events, but I probably haven't seen you properly, other than to literally like look at you across the room and go, hi. In I know. Way. Yeah, and those events are always so funny because everybody gets seated in certain places and then you blink and no one's there and you've, you've gone yeah I think last time we were at a sit down thing I was at the sort of online table and you were at the print table never the twain shall meet oh, do you remember God. yeah totally <laughs> like we hope you don't mind I'm like no I don't mind but why don't you just mix everyone up like why don't you put everyone together it's such a but again I think that's gone you know I think you and I were both that um Nick and Sam's lips was it oh, their was it their I say Lord of Beauty it was their box their beauty box yeah. yeah and I thought that was so nice to be invited because it was mainly you know experts and influencers and, and podcast hosts and I was you know it was so nice to be included in that it's, it's nice to see the beauty I think for a long time there was this sort of how do we manage both how do we do this and it was this as yes. if it was completely different planets and now I feel everyone's calmed down a bit and realized we're not we're not totally dissimilar and we all sort of have the same goal of learning about the product. It's just where, where we communicate it is different. Yeah. Such a good point. Such a good point. It is. You're, you're right. It does feel a lot more collaborative now. Yeah. Collaborative. Connected. Connected. Collaborative and connected. I have taken so much from this conversation, Sarah. I love how you got into it. I love, I, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so, so much. I'm really glad I got to interrogate you forensically. You. I hope, yeah, I hope I've had some helpful information there. I'm sure you have. I'm sure, like, some of your insights about, like, work, doing, like, doing your time in the beauty assistant role, how to do an Tartan interview. Girl. You're going to call me that next time you see me. Hey, Tartan girl. Tartan girl, yeah. You're it's your time to leave the cupboard. But, um... Yeah, also how to do an interview. I really, really enjoyed that. So thank you so much. And obviously, listeners, I'm going to put the links to Sarah and everything she does in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Uh, but honestly, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you for inviting me, Emma. It was absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that episode with the podcast with Sarah. If you would like to get in touch with me, please email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com 
Or if you want to slide into my DMs, and why wouldn't you? I'm at Emma Guns on Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then join the closed Facebook group. All you have to do is go to the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Click the link to join. You do have to answer a couple of questions and you have to agree to the forum rules. But once you do that, I'll let you in and welcome you with open arms. I cannot wait to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.